0: Welcome back to the Athlete Hackers Podcast. My name is Chris Schrade. And I'm Mark Spellman. And tonight we have the opportunity to talk with the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Quinnipiac uh, Quinnipiac University, Bresh Patel. Uh, Coach, give us a couple seconds. We'll go over our our previous uh, podcast and then we'll get rocking and rolling. Sounds good. Um, Previous podcast. Director of uh, Basketball Strength and Conditioning at the University of Richmond, uh, Jay DeMeo, and also the founder of CVASP. Uh, this year he put on uh, Free VASP, which was a great uh, endeavor during this uh, pandemic situation. Uh, Jay talked about uh, the things that we need to do when uh, the athletes come back and making sure that we are doing what is best for the athletes that we work with. And making sure that we're striving every day uh, to get better for uh, the individuals that we work with.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, what I took away from that, you know, we named it, uh, I think, the art of being a dynamic strength coach. And I think just in general, uh, he brought up some good points about meeting athletes where they are, not just during COVID, but just in general. Um, One thing, one specific thing he mentioned was. You know, if a kid comes and he's a good athlete already, and he's been doing something all of his life, and it might be, you know, off the beaten path from what's normal. If it's working for him, then it's working for him. It obviously made a difference in his career.
0: Yep, and I think uh, I think Coach I think Coach Patel is going to uh, have similar have a similar belief system uh, uh, to that of Coach Demario and and myself and to a lot of other. Uh, strength and conditioning coaches right now uh the other podcast that we talked about were, uh, was uh squatting for eight to 12 year olds and also uh just you and i talking about uh the last ride and michael jordan and the last believe, dance yeah the last dance sorry um i think my biggest t- takeaway from the from that one is uh you know success leads success leaves hints and, and if you want to be successful, find out what the most successful people are doing and try to emulate what they do on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, and that last dance one, uh, me and Mark were just kind of experimenting. We didn't have anywhere to go, and it ended up in that direction. It actually ended up being one, one of our best ones, I think. And then uh, the squatting in 8 to 12-year-olds, that kind of, you know, we, we talk about a lot of different things here, but that's one of the – reasons we started this podcast is I would have particular questions that um, I would just call up Mark, you know, because I happen to have a friend that was a collegiate strength coach. So um, the idea was to bring that knowledge to this podcast and uh, 23, 24 podcasts in we've had, uh, Rush has got to be what our probably our seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth strength coach that we've had on here, I think so far, probably 10th.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, great segue. By the way, we're getting Thank better you, at this. <laughs> Thank you. I've been practicing
1: in our off time. <laughs>
0: um, with with that being said, uh, Coach Patel, it is a honor and a pleasure for you to take time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. Uh, so, give us a little background uh, um, on how you got to Quinnipiac, where you've been, what you've done, and what you're working on.
2: Yeah. Th- thanks for having me on. Um, I really enjoy doing these things and just talking to people. But uh, a little bit about my journey is that um, I knew I want to be a strength conditioning coach when I was a senior in high school. And um, so I went to University of Connecticut and volunteered in the varsity weight room my second week on campus. Like, and, um, you know, Jerry Martin took me under his wing at that time and Andrew Hoody was also there. Um, and then another person that was there that took me under his wing was Sean Wendell who's now with the Indiana Pacers now but he was a graduate assistant and um, every year I got more and more responsibility and you know I like to think that it was um, it was like my own outlier story like being surrounded and sharing office with Jerry and Hootie and 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 Sean and then Tina Murray came there and, and she's with the Sacramento Kings now and then Chris West was there and he's the guy who kind of essentially Taught everybody how to use a polar team system and 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 understand training loads and all those types of things with heart rates and um, it was a really cool time, informative time during my you know like my young career. But uh, that led to a GA. I also interned at with Mike Boyle uh, for one summer. Interned with Jeff Oliver at Holy Cross for a summer, and then uh, was a GA for at UConn for a year and a half. And then I had the opportunity to go to um, Holy Cross where I worked with Jeff Oliver. Was there for four and a half years, and then I had the opportunity, unique opportunity, to start a program from scratch at Quinnipiac, where there was no full-time strength and coach before me. Um, so I w- had the unique opportunity to try to impart my philosophy and and system with uh with all of our student athletes here at Quinnipiac, and I've been here for twelve years now. Awesome.
0: There's a lot to take from that. Um First and foremost, as uh, college freshman, you go into the uh varsity weight room at UConn and the names that you talk about, uh Dr. Martin, uh Hootie, uh Wendell, I mean, those are those are some very uh Chris West. I mean, these are giants in our field. What as a eighteen year old freshman, what's it like? What were you thinking? <laughs>
2: Well, well, I was so naive and I didn't know anything that, you know, like it was uh, like Hootie was, I think just a year or two out of grad school. And, and honestly, we were all learning strength and was like 1998. I think strength edition conditioning was in its infancy. Um, you know, it had a little bit of traction, but you know, we, it, it, there was so much to learn. It's nowhere what it is, right. What it is to in today's age and, and, and what it is right now. But it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of learning I just asked a lot of questions on why they did certain things and how they did certain things and what were they reading. And coach Martin would take me up to the whiteboard almost every single day. And if I didn't know it, he's like, okay, go look it up or go find it. And, you know, I, I went to go look it up. And I mean, that's when the internet started too. Right. So I was like, I don't even know if Google was out. Like, uh, I forgot what the search engine I used. but I use internet explorer. But like, it was um, just finding things out and looking things up and I'd come back and it's probably and, some kind of
1: dial up on AOL or something like that back then.
2: When, yeah, when I was at home and I didn't have the internet <laughs> at school, like yeah, I had to use AOL like, and I had to die, Like it was, I don't think I got, I connected half the time, but it was, uh, it's nowhere what it is right now in terms of information. So, so all my information was asking questions, you know, and just being a sponge and, um, soaking up all the things that they did and in different programs and trying different things. Like we experimented with a lot of different things and, um, fortunately we had, we had, we had great athletes there and it was a really good developmental time for my, for, for myself. And I look back at those days and it's, uh, you know, really blessed, you know, to, to be surrounded with by the people that I was surrounded with at that critical time. I think
0: I think one of the things that you've always done for for at least for me and I believe you have a pretty open door policy with everybody that reaches out to you 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 you're pretty much open with what you do with your athletes and what you're doing as far as programming and I think uh one of the things that I really hope comes out of the pandemic is that more coaches are willing to share their information with each other and and try and understand what everybody's trying to do with their athletes. I think when, you know, when I came up in the profession, you know, people didn't talk to other coaches if they trained differently or, you know, you were this school or this school or, and I think hopefully we've gotten away from that. Hopefully we're trying to understand, you know, I want to know what you do at Quinnipiac for your athletes. And if I can take some of that information and help my athletes and the individuals that I work with get better. So I think you know. First and foremost, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done for me. And have always been open and uh, candid about what you're doing with your athletes and how how you're trying to make them the best version of themselves. And and I think I think more people in our profession need to do
2: that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't think there's a I, I, there's no secrets, right? Like I don't think there's any secrets. I think there's. There's more similarities and differences, and the things that you decide to do with when you train your your athletes that you get to that you're fortunate to be able to work with is it's all based on the facilities you have, the situations you have, the training ages that you have, um, and there's there's no such thing as a bad exercise or or, or bad program. Really, it's just bad applications or poor applications. And in reality, I think we can all learn, like you said, like we can learn from everybody. You can learn how to do something or how not to do something or learn how to do something. Uh, maybe in a different situation that you're going to come up to, maybe later in your career, you know, and it's, just, it's, um, you know, what I do right now, I think is the best thing that I, that we can do, but it was different than I did last year, which was different than I did a year before. And hopefully coming out of this pandemic, like, we are going to do things differently than we did last year, you know, and, and my assistant, she just said, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever had a plan for, because we just canceled fall sports today. So I, she's like I don't think we've yeah. ever I've ever had a plan for an 18 month off season. I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be a little bit different." <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different. Well,
0: and 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 the uh, the coaches that I've talked to during this, I mean, I think all of them have basically said, you know, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk to our athletes. You know, the first day we get back, we're we're going to talk and see how everybody's doing. Because even though even though Zoom is great and but you gotta, you actually have to be in contact with them. Yeah, it's not as personal. No strength coach, no, no strength coach got in the profession to do Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was that was that for Quinnipiac or was that for the MAC conference?
2: The MAC, they they just announced it today. Yep. They, um, so I'm sure that was difficult conversations for those fall coaches to be able to have with those student athletes, and it's just. It you know, it's just tough. Like it's, you know, these kids, especially like a lot of them aren't going to go play pro, right? So they, you know, they have four years to compete and, you know, spring sports, their seasons were taken away and now fall sports seasons. Who knows? They might get pushed this spring, but who knows? You know, it, I, I still don't know like what's going to be different on January 1st compared to now.
0: You know I mean, <laughs> there's not much
2: different from what's today. Today's, you know, July 27th. What's, there's nothing different from July twenty seventh from March to March twenty seventh when when all this was going down, so you know what to think that things are going to change that much drastically that you're going to be able to compete like it's just there's so many questions.
1: Are they are they even talking about giving people red shirts and allowing them another year?
2: Yeah, I think they're I think they'll probably be able to do those types of things, but you know then if you're a student athlete do you want to come back and you're and you know you know your season's not you're not going to have a season like you I what we're I think we're going to do what a lot of other schools are doing is they're going to be allowed to practice and they're going to be allowed to train but you know rightfully so like if the kid doesn't want to come back because they're not playing like can they can they just stay home and take online classes yeah
0: well I know I know uh, Arizona State their whole swim program
2: is right I saw that that. yeah last night I saw that
0: (laughs) I actually talked I actually talked to Leanne Blinn today oh yeah so It's going to be real interesting, and not only for the fall, but it's really going to be interesting for the spring because you're going to have the traditional spring sports that are going to compete. And now if you move all the fall sports to the spring to compete, I mean, it's going to be crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially for smaller schools that don't have the facilities to
2: do that. Well, think about that, but also how about the sports medicine staff to be able to cover all those events. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well well in and, and the strength and the strength staff i mean yeah. the strength and conditioning staff you i mean you having traditional and non-traditional seasons is kind of makes it easier easier for us to schedule now everybody's going to go you know what's it going to look like our requirements in the fall for the school for the teams that are traditionally in the fall do they go to an eight hour a week schedule or are they 20 hours and then 20 in the spring? And
2: We haven't heard yet. You know, we haven't heard yet. I would imagine it would probably be eight, but, you know, who knows? Because you're not competing, right? And so yeah. those, are, those, those competitions are usually, like, what, three, four hours each. If you don't have those. So, you know, and then, we, and then we're going to have a graded return to play and, and, you know, to training, really, not to play, but a graded return to, um, to practicing and to training. So I don't know if 20 hours is even necessary, but who knows? Unless they just say, you know, some of those hours could be non-physical hours and you can do video and you can do team building and, and maybe team meetings. I don't know. There might be a lot more team meetings. Who knows? <laughs>
0: yeah. um, I know one of the things that uh, Chris wanted, Chris and I wanted to dive in is, to the, is into the quadrant system and to uh, RPR. OK. Um, and and how you implement that with your with your teams, how you're implementing it within the athletic department and uh, your thoughts on it, basically.
2: Yeah. So um, I'll talk about the quadrants first. And so a lot of that came about from the catastrophic catastrophic um, death. And, oh, no. Catastrophic injury and sudden death paper that came out last year, last summer from the NCAA and then the subsequent guidelines by the, um, the NSCA and CSCCA in terms of like, uh, how, to, how to gradually ramp up. So we wanted to – so our administration asked us to give presentations to all the coaches based on, um, based on the paper and the findings and how we can um, create a system where, where we can not hold our coaches accountable in terms of practice planning, but basically teach them you know, what are more efficient ways to practice plan and what things should they be thinking about? You know, so we introduced training load and we introduced acute to chronic workload ratios and, and and all those types of things. But the biggest thing we try to really get through to them is we don't have a lot of technology where we can measure external training loads in terms of GPS mileage and contacts and all those types of things. And not every team has the means to be able to track internal training load with heart rate monitoring. So, what the biggest thing we try to get to them to understand is volume or time on feet and how we use that as a primary variable to plan their practices. And so for some, like they had no very little concept of what that meant. Um, whereas others understood that completely. So we were dealing with, you know, the whole spectrum in terms of people and their understanding of volume and time on feet. Um, and then the other variable is just intensity. Um, But the biggest thing we've realized is just volume is the biggest indicator in kind of overuse or under recovered injuries, right? And so what we really try to get them to understand is like, listen, you can't live in quadrant four, which is a high volume, high intensity day every single day because your kids aren't going to be able to recover from that. So we try to get them to understand, hey, listen, like quadrant one, low intensity, low volume is going to be recovery day. So that might be a complete off day. Quadrant two is going to be high volume, but lower intensity. Those are days when we get a lot of reps in of skill work. Maybe, maybe that's more of a, a technical day rather than a tactical team-based day. Maybe you're not going to have a lot of contact. You're not going to get a lot of really physical, um, but you're going to get a lot of volume of reps. Um, quadrant three being lower, uh, lower volume, higher intensity. Those are days, maybe like a day before a game, two days before a game where we can have some really high intense work. We can compete. We can battle have some physical contact, but we're not going to go very long. And then quadrant four is going to be high volume, high intensity. That's kind of like where our games are going to be. And maybe, you know, if we only play one game a week, so say for basketball, for example, maybe we can have one practice. It's a quadrant four practice just to make sure that we're fit and we can handle those types of days. Um, so that was really, it is really trying to get them to understand some terminology. So when we say, Hey coach, what does today look like? Is it going to be, you know, a, a, a three or a two or a four? you know, where, where are you going to design your practice? So they they can design the practices however they want to, but as long as we have an understanding of, of what the day is going to look like. Um, Who's
1: who's typically dictating the intensity? Is it the season itself? Is it the coach? And then the strength and conditioning has to come in and kind of adapt to that.
2: No. So what we like to do, like the recommendations I've always kind of given our coaches, is like, listen, like we should, the majority of our work should be fairly intense. Like, if you want them to play at a certain pace, if you want them to practice at a certain, uh, a certain pace, then you've got, to, you've, got to pre- you've got to prepare that way and you've got to practice that way. You know? um, and so we try to lean towards more of the high intensity and really just kind of fluctuate the volume. And so that's what, that, that was the education piece of it, too, is we don't want to practice slow and expect to train fa- play fast. Like, that's not going to work that way. So, so in terms of
1: volume, are you saying that they're they're taking down the amount of time that they practice, their actual yes. practice time?
2: Yeah. So one day might be two hours. The next day might be a 75 minutes. The next day might be 90 minutes. You know what I mean? So we, next, the next day after that might be 45 minutes. So we're just fluctuating the volume over the course of the week based on whatever it is we play. Mm-hmm. You know, um, But the intensity in terms of what we want to do and accomplish should be fairly intense. When I say intense, it's going to be more at at game-like speeds Mm -hmm. so when you do a drill it should look like a game you shouldn't do a half ass drill you know what i mean you shouldn't do something slow because you're not going to learn how to do it you're not going to play that way right you know so we we want to practice like we play Mm -hmm. so that's the kind of thing that we've told them from intensity standpoint and the biggest thing that we've educated them is how to how to manipulate the volume standpoint you know and did everybody gravitate towards it right away no it's it's still an ongoing process and we're still learning and we're still adapting and and trying to communicate that, but it's um it's definitely helped um for one year so far, and I think it's going to be even more important as we go on after this um, really extended time off.
0: Yeah, and I and I think I think one of the big things that you hit on is that it, it, you really don't need any equipment for this. I mean, no. and, and and I and I think you know for the high school the high school. Athletic programs that you can implement this system with the with the athletes and with the teams that are coming back um, to to play and to compete hopefully in the fall, but also you can use it at the collegiate level. How how receptive have the athletes been to it? Because obviously they they they're going to have to give you some responses on to how intense. Um, they thought the practice was or how, how uh, intense they thought the training session was.
2: They've been pretty good about it, but honestly, like it's, it's sometime they forget, you know what I mean? So we had an app system. We use Metrofit to basically log it. And half the time I'd be texting them to be like, Hey, remember to do this. Remember to do this. Remember to log and half the time they forget it, you know? And so what ended up happening was the ones that valued it the most were the ones who gave the most honest feedback so I just kind of look at theirs and I extrapolate it to the rest of the team you know what I mean so if my if the if the guys and girls that were the most diligent about it and they're the ones who were the most accurate with the information and then I kind of said hey coach this is what they're feeling like today so yesterday was a little bit harder than maybe you expected you know and that's how we kind of gave feedback off of that but that's the that's always the challenging piece is running around and trying to get the information. Like it's we don't have a system where it's one training coach for every single team, and you can be in the locker room and say, "All right, here's what was your what was your RPE today? What'd you think of it?" And, you know, and just plug it into the computer or plug it in and write it on a clipboard. We didn't have that kind of system because we don't have the manpower to do that. So a lot of it was relying on them to be responsible enough, and you know, they they they're they're not they can't handle all that all the time. So,
0: I did like the fact that you, that you broke the scale down from one to five instead of one to 10. Because when you said, yeah, what's the difference between a seven and an eight? I mean, but there is definitely a difference between a five and a three.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Even a five yeah. and a four.
2: Yep. Yeah. Five being very hard, four is hard, three is average, two is light, one's easy. It's just simple. You know, it's, it's the same way we would ask them to rate their sleep or their stress or mood or like on a wellness question, just one through five. You know, and, and it's so much easier um, to kind of to define what a certain value would be. So I don't know. We'll see how year two goes with it. But like, I think it's it's it makes sense in my head. And, it, and it's a constant education process with our student athletes and our coaches to get them to understand where we want to live or, you know, what today what the theme of today's day would be um, and how uh, and how we've planned it. You know, so I,
0: I think. I think you're going to find year two is going to be very important with uh, implementing this uh, system and, and the program, Uh, not only, not only for the coaches, but more importantly for the health and safety of the student athlete.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's every decision that's being made with all these conferences are, uh, you know, canceling fall sports is all based on health and safety. You know what I mean? Everything that they're saying is health and safety of the student athlete, health and safety of the student athlete. And that's it. And it should be, at the forefront because you don't want to risk anybody getting the virus and having anything potentially wrong or, and, you know, and, and the other thing too is it's kind of nice that they did cancel because I'll tell you honestly, like it was, there was a time when we felt like rushed, like, okay, we got to get these kids ready to practice or to play a game. in uh, you know, 12 days, like, is that possible? <laughs> mm. You know, and now we have time, you know, there, there's no rush, you know, and, you know, I met with um, one of our coaches today and, said the same thing as they listen we might not do you know skill work for two weeks like we'll just do strength conditioning and and we'll gradually build up because it's a marathon it's not a sprint like there's no rush and, they, and he was fine with it. he's like okay you know we'll, we'll 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 take our time with it
0: it's definitely it's definitely going to be a slow code process if it hasn't been in the past it's going to be it's going to be this this year that everybody everybody hopefully takes their foot off the gas and Realizes that you know it's gonna it's gonna take a while for I don't care how how uh, compliant any athlete's been at home it's still different than when you're on campus working with your strength and conditioning coach and your uh, athletic uh, and your athletic coach so
2: well that but then you add the stress of school into it too right like it, it, and so that's going to be another stressor that's going to be placed on the system that you got to be cognizant of that you didn't have at home like yeah you had online class but it's not the same as an in-person class or it's not the same as navigating your way around campus and making sure that you're safe and and all those types of things you're the comfort out of your home you know you're, you're out of the comfort of your home um, um,
0: and, and the stress of wearing a mask
2: yep that too so it's um it's gonna be unique and it's gonna be different and you know like we had a zoom last week with one team and they were asking questions and I said like the first couple weeks, yeah, you're not going to be allowed. They asked, can we do extra? I said, no, you're probably not. Like, I know you guys are used to it. Like whether it be doing extra bike workout or some extra plyos, what are an extra lift, Like we're probably not going to be able to manage that. And it's probably not a good idea to do initially. Like, don't be in a, like I told them, like, don't worry. You're not going to lose everything. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you do 30 minutes less of a workout, like you'll be okay. If you miss you know, used to shooting for an extra hour a day, like you're probably not going to be able to do that for two weeks. But it's okay because you're not like we're probably going to start the season later. You know, it's talking about basketball specifically, like it's not we're probably not going to start right away, so we have time to to at our advantage. So let's use it.
0: Well, hopefully, oh, talking with Coach Blinn today or uh, last week, they they had to wear masks even outside for conditioning. Mm. Really, and that's a that's in Arizona. Yikes. Wow! No, thank you. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. We weren't going to have that. Like we were just going to space them outside. And even if we did conditioning on a basketball court, like I felt like there's no way, like I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm not going to create any kind of respiratory distress that way. We'll just space everybody out. If we get more extended uh, rest, then that's fine too. But uh, I, we're not going to have to do that for in the weight, in the weight room, we will, you know, but Um, everything that I've read too is like during, you know, conditioning, like don't, you don't have to wear a mask, but just make sure you distance.
0: I think, I I think when this first happened, there was a gentleman that was running with a mask on Mm. and I think one of his lungs collapsed. No way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's not a good idea. No, thank you. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, thanks.
0: Chris, any questions?
1: Um, why don't you get into the RPR a little bit and then I can probably segue from there.
2: Okay. So, are you guys familiar with RPR?
1: Uh, I actually had to, I heard it in the podcast that you were on, and, and I had to ask Mark what it was today so I could look it up. So, this is new me. <laughs>
2: okay. Okay. Um, so, I had a friend of mine tell me about it in 2016. Um, Stephen Bullock, he was at Yale at that time, and he came up and um, he actually showed it to me, he did it to me, and um, I was blown away, and then we started playing with it with our athletes and incorporating it into our training sessions. And then it was still called be activated at that time. And then, um, I, uh, I saw that Cal was jumping in into it and becoming a partner and he J.L. and Chris Corfis, kind of repackaged it and, and renamed rebranded as RPR. And I remember going to one of the first clinics in New Jersey at the time. And, um, at that time, I don't think they refined how they were teaching it. So, like, I was fortunate; I did it with Cal. Like, I think I learned level one and level two in the same in, in the same day. And then, um, you know, was it was it's an unreal system in trying to get people to understand how how to feel better, how to move better, how to breathe better, um, but also how to function the way that you should and with less compensatory actions and less compensatory movements. Um, and you know, we we did it with a lot of our athletes. Um, we do a pre-training. We did it in between in, in between exercises as a rest, in between sets, um, and just found so many different ways to um, impact our program that it's become a no-brainer and it's kind of become a staple of what we do from a preparatory standpoint, recovery standpoint. Um, a, it's kind of
1: a combination of acupressure points and breathing exercises in order to recover. Is that... Accurate? Yes.
2: Yep, yep. So you've got um so it's based on um neurolymphatic points, neurovascular points, acupuncture points, fascial points um and it's it's the system that they basically created, what Douglas Hill created. It's reproducible, um it's patterned and you can kind of pinpoint what's going on at a certain time if somebody has a certain issue, but um the points um basically like you've got some nerves that are embedded within your lymphatic tissue. And sometimes if you've got, you know, overload of stress, um, improper, like your fascia is not hydrated well, or you may have some fascial densifications. Some of these nerves in these areas may not send the right signal to the right muscle or the signals kind of dampened, right? It's like, it's like your, your, your cable of your toaster, right? If it's all twisted up and contorted and turns like that signal is not going to be as strong as if you had the, the, the cord straightened out. So all you're doing is by rubbing these points while engaging your diaphragm and breathing. You're kind of untwisting that cable cord, if that makes sense from an analogy standpoint. It so seems you're,
1: very Eastern.
2: It is. It is. I like Eastern. Me too. But uh, it's um, it's very it's it's based in neural lymphatics, uh, like again acupuncture with meridians. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very. Yeah, it's very Eastern, as you say, or very holistic from the standpoint. Like, right? yep. like so, sometimes you may think, oh my, oh my, like my quad, my quad hurts, so I'm just gonna do some extra soft tissue or stretch my quad. When in reality, maybe your issues might be coming from your anterior tip, or it might be coming from your jaw, or it might be coming from your bicep. You know what I mean, so it's getting you to understand from a holistic perspective how everything's ultimately connected and intertwined, and that your body is gonna find stability from any available source. It may not be from the most Um, efficient source in your body but it will find stability
1: yeah you know one of the uh things listening to that uh upper left podcast that you were on one of the interesting things to me uh, that you had pointed out was you know there's always kind of this this battle between science and um and feeling right and you know you kind of said well what works you know you don't need to have data to point something out if you know modality works and that's kind of like what a lot of these old ancient eastern modalities like yoga martial arts tai chi they're kind of based off of experience more than scientific data and um you know i i we we did a pad podcast with um uh, bill parisi a couple weeks oh, yeah. back about about fascia training and it's hard for me to get away from this in my head. And and if you could touch on this, it would be great. Um, back in, uh, early two thousands, I started studying yin yoga and yin yoga, uh, tries to work on the connective tissue rather than the musculature. And you have to hold, uh, poses for a lot longer time in order to do that. And at the time, um, the gentleman I was learning it from named Paul Grilly, he had mentioned that there were studies going on um, that touched on the connective tissue possibly being uh, the, where the Chinese meridians were actually um, contained in. And I, I'm just wondering if there's some kind of connection between that and the new stuff going on with fascia training in terms of um, you know improving athletics. Is there some kind of synergy going on there?
2: I think so. You know, like, you know, Bill's looked into fascia. I've kind of taken a deep dive into fascia over the last year and a half, two years as well too. And, and what science is just starting to learn is that fascia is almost like their sixth organ of your body, right? It's a, it's a massive sensory organ that surrounds everything within your body. And then encases everything. And if your fascia doesn't function optimally, then you nothing else in your body is going to function optimally. And so, fascia is a connective tissue in a sense, is that it's kind of holds and binds everything together, right? And it connects everything together. So, your toes are connected to your forehead, your toes are connected to your fingertips, and, and all of that's related. And so, um, I forgot where I was going with this, but like, so just getting you to understand how nothing works in isolation, and sometimes it's really hard to explain how those little things with, that may be going on to your foot are going to affect your, your forehead or affect your headache or affect your shoulder um, because it doesn't make sense to a lot of people because they think from a reductionist perspective of how to break things down into certain segments and certain parts when in reality, like the, the Chinese, the Indians, like the, the Eastern people would re- really were so big on, uh, on chi and so big on energy Mm-hmm. And so big on on karma, and getting you to understand that your the energies that you have within your body um, can get transferred up and down to different parts of your body, and that's essentially how you heal yourself. And getting you understand that's why breathing is so important and breathing correctly. And that's a that's a book I just finished up that I highly recommend: "Breathe" by James Nestor. Um, he talks a lot about in uh, like the the Chinese and in, in, and yoga, and he talks about the Indians, and and it's very, um, it's, it's very interesting to get to really have that perspective, and how people can control their heart rate, people can control their blood pressure simply on based on breathing.
1: So, when, what do you think it is in in terms of that that uh, eastern western dynamic? Do you think that? Uh, these ancient modalities have been around for so so long do you think that just in that time period in in human evolution we developed more of this right brain type of intuitive stuff then um and, and now we're doing more left brain type of stuff and we're at a point where we've got to marriage them together or uh, did the ancients already know about all this left brain stuff and they got rid of it a long time ago or i don't know some aliens came down and gave them a blueprint or you know to to do things the right way where 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 do you think
2: that where where do we land there i don't know i think i think your first kind of hypothesis might be somewhat correct is that um they might have known it all and you know cuz they've experimented and and they've they they've done it for such a long time for thousands and thousands of years and and um you know, either ignored the left brain stuff or. Um, it's powerful, really- though.
1: There's a lot of stuff you can't get away from in terms of some of the discoveries that have been made, no? From a, a Western scientific standpoint.
2: Well, it's just crazy that, you know, it, it's like when I was in college, and Mark, you can probably talk to it too, and nobody talked about breathing. No. You know what I mean? Like, no. the, the thing that you knew about breathing was the Valsalva maneuver and how it increased the intra abdominal pressure. Like, I don't remember learning about the diaphragm in anatomy and kinesiology. I don't remember, and they might have probably glanced over it, but like, I didn't understand that it was a big-time respiratory muscle. I didn't know it had connections to the vagus nerve. I didn't know that it had fascial connections to your psoas. Like, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff and how that relates to posture and your body and your mechanics and all these types of things, but um, breathe, and then like, how you can control your breathing. And like, I didn't know, like your nose was almost an organ like in itself and that you should breathe primarily through your nose. Like these are, and how that can, when you breathe through your nose, you can increase nitrous oxide and, and all these types of things. It's, um, but the, but the Easterns knew that the, the Easterns knew how important the breath was and how the breath can control your mind and how the breath can control your body and the internally and externally and how your breath rate can basically control everything.
0: Yeah.
1: you
2: know, and, and they basically found that the breath, like if your body was off, if you had some kind of malady or some kind of illness, like it all came back to breathing, like control your breath, it's crazy. you know, you know and, and whereas like in the West, we give medication, yeah. you know, like we get medicine and we get, you know, we give prescriptions and not saying that's wrong because sometimes you do need that, right? Sometimes you do need that. But, but I find that, Like maybe you try like just some simple things first, you know, try like, and I say simple, but like, like it's something that you can control. Like sure. Breathing is, is, is based on autonomic control, but you also have conscious control over it too. So, um, it's something that's automatically that you do, but it's also something that you can have a direct impact and you can control, Mm. you know? And so why not just try to see how that goes first before you you drug people up? I don't know. That's just that's just my thought process. But like, like I know with my athletes, we we teach breathing and I think it's important. You know, 100%. because they because we need to give be able to give them tools that they know how to control their their bodies and their minds and their spirits for the rest of their their lives too. It's not just from an athletic standpoint, but also understanding how to center yourself and how to be mindful and how to control your mind when it's racing all over the place.
1: It was a, one of the first things that I learned when I started martial arts, uh, with Calzon that Mark and I train out of, uh, he taught breathing because the timing of breathing with doing a certain strike or something is it's night and day between the power of your strikes. So just breathing with certain timing increases power. So there, there's an athletic modality right, right then and there from breathing.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's a shame that, you know, you don't learn it more in academia, but I, it's it, in the book. Like if you read breathe by James Nestor, if you, if you, he's got a podcast with Joe Rogan too, like that, that's, I, I recommend listening to that first and then reading, but it was, um, it was really interesting to, that, you know, he was doing these, these experiments and stuff, but he would also ask scientists what they thought. And some scientists still couldn't figure it out and they were looking into it. Like they were looking into breathing and with, uh, can't remember, but it was like some, um, it was like some mental hospital in Iowa where they worked with um, um, some kind of—I forgot the patients, but they they basically found that giving them carbon dioxide helped alleviate a lot of their symptoms in terms of psychiatric patients.
1: Giving them carbon dioxide.
2: Yeah. Well, because so what happens? So
1: holding is, your breath.
2: Yeah, because what starts to happen is like when you overbreathe. You're expelling more carbon dioxide, and you're actually expelling more oxygen. So, carbon dioxide, kind of balance. Yeah, and so carbon dioxide is actually the trigger that allows oxygen to be used by your red blood cells. So, when your carbon dioxide levels start to rise, your 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 the red blood cells start to trigger like, oh, now I need to use that oxygen. But if your carbon dioxide levels are always low because you overbreathe, then you're expelling more oxygen than you need. And then you're never really utilizing as much oxygen as you, as you, as you need. So what they found was that when you actually increase people's carbon dioxide levels, they were actually able to normalize themselves and balance themselves. That's why like Wim Hof can do crazy stuff like, you know, like handle himself with in freezing cold temperatures and like all his breathing techniques are really just trying to get you to understand how to increase your body's levels of carbon dioxide tolerance.
1: So is that like, uh, anaerobic training?
2: To a degree. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i i i've i loved this conversation because you know i had uh, neck surgery almost 18 months ago so i've had a hard time falling asleep and then within the last month i've really focused on nasal breathing um as i'm going to sleep and i've done it when i'm uh working out on the uh, uh rowing erg and and really trying to focus to make sure that i'm breathing more through my nose And taking the time to focus on my breathing so I can get into a more relaxed state. Because I haven't, for 16 months, I haven't been able to sleep through the night. Wow. Um, And in the last two weeks, I sleep great now. Awesome. All all breathing through my nose. Making sure that I'm following a schedule. Like, I don't eat anything after 8. By 9 o'clock, I'm no longer on the phone. By 10 o'clock, I'm going to sleep. And then... It, it, it it's It's all about routine
2: mm-hmm.
0: um but also to make sure that I'm focusing on the breath and making sure that i'm um very conscious on how I'm doing it because i I have been a mouth breather for most of yeah. my life <laughs> Yeah, and um you know for anybody that's tried um training just breathing through their nose i mean it's it's a different it's a different beast
2: it's yeah. hard. You start to feel like your carbon dioxide levels increase. Like, like, you know, when your carbon dioxide levels are increasing, when you feel like you're almost starving for a breath. Mm. Yeah. And oh, yeah. that's what happens when you, when you breath hold or, or you expel air frequently, like uh like forced exhale, heavy breathing. Um, you know, it's a way to increase your body's ability to handle more carbon dioxide.
1: And if your body's in a state where it's anxious, you're not going to be able to catch that breath. And when you're calm, You could sit there and do it all day
2: long. It starts to make sense. Yeah, it starts to make sense. Because that's what happens. Like, what what do people do when they panic, right? Or people that are about to have asthma, right? They just keep breathing too heavy. They overbreathe. right? So they're not getting any carbon dioxide. So they actually, what they need to do is breathe slower.
1: Huh, interesting.
2: It's interesting, too. Like, the other thing I got back from, you know, like, oxygen. Like, you know, people on the sideline will take oxygen. Yeah. Like, what does that do? It doesn't do anything. Like, you need carbon dioxide. (laughs) <laughs> to release carbon, and release oxygen.
0: And you see, you they think they're blood always, doping or something. Big, it's always the big guys going for the oxygen, too. It's never the hey. little guys. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, getting back to your point about how everything's connected, and, you know, I, I probably our last take on what we can talk about this evening. Um, you know, you find it where some an athlete will complain about an injury or an issue that they're having. And you'll, you'll have a conversation with them. And you, have you looked at your foot? Have you looked at, you know, a different a different reason? Well, you know, in Western medicine, you go to a doctor and you tell them that their knee hurts. Well, they look at your knee. I mean, very, very unfortunately, very few doctors that I've come in contact with, they don't look at a gait. They, they don't look at a squat pattern. They don't watch the individual move to maybe make a better diagnosis instead of giving them a pill.
1: Yeah. Would you say the knee is the dumbest joy in the body,
0: right? That's your, that's your go-to line. Yeah. It's one, it's definitely up there in the top two. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you, if you, if you're having some mobility issues at the ankle or the hip, the knee's going to be the one that's going to pay the price for it. Usually.
2: So,
0: um, coach, how can, uh, our listeners get in touch with you or, what's the best way um, to get more information that you're putting out there. I know, uh, I know you restarted your uh, website yeah. and and I want people to, you know, I consider you one of the best in our profession. And I really, you know, I'm really uh, honored to have you as not only um, a guest on our podcast, but somebody that I consider a friend and an and individual that I uh, look forward to continue our relationship and continue learning from.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I recently just uh, started up a site. I used to have one way back in the day, and, and I just couldn't maintain it with our two young kids and, and during quarantine. Like that was a, uh, you know, my wife was pestering me, like you got to put out information again and, and start it back up. So I did, and it, so it's coachbpatel.com. Um, you know, like at least try to post like one or two blogs a week um, stuff on Instagram, like B Patel, five, one, five, all the information's on the website if you go to the website, but coach B um, But really it's, it's, it's just a way for, um, for coaches, for athletes, for parents, for, for just people like, right. Just understand like different ways um, to improve and way different ways that they can get better. And, and really hopefully, Inspire some people to realize that they can become better versions of themselves because, you know, that's kind of like my my main philosophy and that's my vision. And um, I, I think anybody that I come in contact with is has that has that power of themselves to become better in somehow, some way, some shape or some form. And um, hopefully through the site and the information I put out, it allows other people to realize that, you know, that they that they can improve themselves, so that they're not stuck. Um, so whether it be improving their knowledge of training or whether improving their, their knowledge of themselves or whether they're improving their knowledge of their nutrition or just even gaining some introspective about themselves and the way they think about things, you know, so it's, you know, it's not going to be, you know, do these two drills to improve your 40 yard dash time. Like there's, there's other people that do that kind of stuff. I know my niche, I know what I'm good at. And, um, you know, it's really just trying to get people to understand how they can how they can, can become better. And if you can become better, if you can better the self, then you can better the individual things that you decide to do, you know? So, so much of it's a little bit more global, but yeah, that's probably where to contact and connect.
1: I got one last question for you, coach. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of a midlife crisis thing I'm starting to go through, but I'm starting to think back in, in time and I'm starting to see time in, in different ways, you know, 10 years, four years, like it's kind of bugging me out. But like when you started talking about, 98 and, and 2000, you know, I, I started thinking back, you know, God, I graduated college in 2000. And the things I did, you know, for lifting weights, it was archaic, you know, like, you know, we, we taught ourselves or we learned from the guy who used to lift weights back in the 70s or 80s. You know, that's how we ended up lifting weights, um, you know, and then, you know, fast forward after my college career, I had to go to things like, martial arts and yoga to reverse all the bad stuff that I did you know I meet Mark around 2010 or so and I get to kind of see a glimpse of what college athletics had had evolved to within that 10-year period and now we're 10 years past that and we're having all these coaches on you know there's all kinds of sophisticated things happening but we got time happens so fast you know we've got you know, the next 5, 10, 15 years, you know, are going to go by like that. You know, I, I've, got, I've got a 10-year-old. He's going to be 18 in no time, you know, yep. two, four-year periods. What does college athletics and strength and conditioning look like in that time period? 5, 10, 15 years. And what can kids who are going to be in college in those next 5, 10, or 15 years, what can they do to bring upon
2: the next evolution? I think the way it's going to go is it's going to be continued, um, a continued evolution of understanding data and understanding statistics, understanding um, sports science in a sense. I know the NSA is, is putting out that certification as well, but I think it's going to become a little bit more sophisticated in how programs might be designed. Um, what I hope is that it never loses its human side of things, because I think strength conditioning evolved from coaching and evolve from PE and evolved from football coaching specifically. But in reality, like strength conditioning was so much about relationships and so much about connecting with students and student athletes and athletes themselves to get them to understand how to improve and how to get better. And my, one of my kind of, it's, I don't like to say it's a fear, but it's a concern is that we have so many young strength conditioning coaches coming up in the field right now um, that are very tech savvy but very little people savvy you know and so um so i think the technology is going to get sophisticated i think it's going to be more accessible um because i think prices are going to come down and some of these like you know higher end velocity based training gps like i think that's going to be probably a standard across the board and, and like already at like higher level institutions it's 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 a standard um i think you'll see a trickle down effect but um, I think you're going to see more staffs. I think you're going to see more personnel. Well, it depends on how this COVID thing goes because a lot of institutions may, might struggle, but coming out of it. But um, it, after everything rebounds, I do think that there'll be more staffs. There'll be more specialized strength conditioning positions that you might have. It's already happening. Like you've got basketball-specific strength coaches. You've got hockey specific, you've got specific. you got hockey-specific. you got baseball-specific. I think you're, you'll probably start to see more lacrosse-specific um, more swimming, you know, specific and, and all those types of things might start to happen. Um, and it's the, the programs are going to get more sophisticated, but I really hope that the, the interpersonal skills and the inter- interpersonal relationships and communication is still at the forefront and still a priority.
1: So you, for the athlete themselves, do you think that understanding this technology, um, they've almost – balance might be the the answer. They've got to understand this technology, but they've also got to take that Eastern side and learn that and kind of blend them together.
2: Yeah, you got they got to learn themselves, right? Like you're you're going to be stuck with yourself for the rest of your life. So you better understand how to use it. You know what <laughs> I mean? And how to better control and how to better manage it. So yeah. like you can have all the fancy gadgets in the world, but if you don't know how to control your body, or your mind or your spirit, then you're screwed. Yeah. So, so I think that's, that's, there's still a premium on that, and again, in my sure. mind, in my mind, in my opinion. But again, that's what I value. Awesome.
0: So there's also there's also a reason that very few teams do a mega wave readings on game day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not <to laughs> screwing with that. <laughs> if, if their top player, if their if their top players are reading off the chart as they're overstressed right now, they they're not going to tell them that right before kickoff or right before the puck drops or right before tip off. So.
1: Yeah, but if robots if robots ran sports, no one would watch them.
0: That's right. Well, and and I think I think uh coach you 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 definitely bring up uh a, a, an interesting fact that I think there are gonna be more seats at the table as far as administration goes. Yes, and, for sure. And, and it's something that I'm really pushing I'm I'm pushing for. And I've talked with uh Coach Alejo, uh Dr. Ivy. Uh and I'm trying to get in touch with Eric Coram down at uh William and Mary, yeah. Because there are definitely gonna be positions for student athlete well being and performance that are coming up. And I think uh, you know, myself and uh older strength coaches are gonna to look to uh hopefully be at the forefront of those positions.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that forefront. Yeah. I, that that's gonna be a priority and um it is. It's going, to be, it's going to be an avenue for us older trend coaches when we, when we decide that we can't be on the floor and stand up on our feet all day long, that we can still Im- have an impact on the next generation.
0: Yep. And, I, and I, I, look forward, I look forward to hopefully being with you and being part of that uh, process. No doubt. No doubt.
1: Awesome. Well, Coach, thanks for coming on today. This has been, I think this is one of the best podcasts we've done so far.
0: Oh, and- thank you. No, definitely. I, uh, Rush, I definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule, and I, I definitely wanted to make sure that we
2: were respectful of the
0: time that we took this evening.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. Absolutely.
1: All right, everyone, uh, check us out, uh, athletehackers.com.
0: We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Peace from me. If you have any questions or concerns or want to be a guest, info at athletehackers.com. Uh, and once again, thank you, Bresh, for taking the time out of your schedule. We will more than likely try and have you back on uh, in the near future. For sure.
2: Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: All my best. God bless. Take care. Have a great day and make it the best you can. See you on the next one.